Hello listener, Charlie here to give you the next episode in the mini-series of The Great English Country Houses. This is part of a history-heavy mini-series that I wanted to create for you in the hope of rediscovering the significance of these stately homes and what came with them, such as the class-based system that is still part of the British culture that we know of today. Now, the older I get, the more interested in history I am. But I remember how quickly I used to switch off when people started to talk about the years things happened and the past that seemingly didn't affect me in the now. But my aim was to make these episodes as accessible as possible for those of you who are less bothered about the past. So if you keep in mind how this way of life that we're about to talk about really has shaped the culture that we know of today in the UK, then I reckon it'll be a bit more engaging for you because personally, throughout this mini-series, I've had a bit of a realisation about how the structures in place throughout the last few centuries really do connect to the present day. So while I can't assume you haven't realised this yet, I would like to reinforce the point that I think this stuff is worth listening to if you want to better understand British culture today. So you are about to join the conversation I am having with Ben Marks, the friend and historian that lives down under, about the inside or the general happenings that went on inside the great English country houses. Oh, and if you haven't listened to the first episode in the mini-series, then do check that one out, which was called something along the lines of the origins of the great English country houses. Right, that's enough of an intro. Enjoy. Am I right in saying, Ben, that a typical household could have up to a dozen or more staff, including the butler, housekeeper, chef or cook, and at least one kitchen maid or, and at least two or three housemaids? Yeah, I mean, there's probably more than that, right? The average British sort of country house have between 15 and 20 internal staff. I mean, that was probably about average. There were some houses, some of the biggest houses, you know, uh, there was one called Petworth House in Surrey that you can still visit today, I believe, had uh, 300 internal staff. Very near where I grew up. Is that right? Mm. Oh, where did you grow up? Guildford in Surrey. Ah, was that nice and posh? The village that I lived in, it was delightful. One of the best kept villages of England in 2009. Now that is a proper English thing, uh, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Have you ever seen Hot Fuzz? Hot yes. Fuzz. The whole thing in that is basically that they're going for the best kept village award, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and there's a whole conspiracy to make sure that they win it. Yeah, and there were murders in, in Horsley as well. That was based on your town. Yeah. All right, so we're just going to talk about a bit of staff in these households, the servants as it were. So essentially what we had was in these great houses was we had an upstairs and we had a downstairs and that's become a colloquial term and it was a colloquial term at the time. Ah, hello, sir. Welcome to the British English podcast Bed and Breakfast. How can I help you? Oh, yes, I'd uh, I'd like to check in early, please. I have a reservation under the name of Mr. Smith, and uh, I'd like to listen to the podcast for free. Certainly. And would you like a turn-down service and a complimentary worksheet with your stay? 
pardon me? A turn-down service and a free worksheet. What, what on earth are they? Let's, let's see now, shall we? A turn-down service includes getting your bedroom ready for a night of sleep. In other words, I get in your bed, roll around in it, and then get back out. Oh, and the free worksheet is available for anyone listening to the British English Podcast. You can access it by going to the britishenglishpodcast.com slash freebies. That's F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. By clicking the link in the show notes of this episode, or you can download the app called the British English Podcast app. It's rather impressive, as you can listen to every single episode and see the free worksheet on the same page. Very, very useful, and as I said, complimentary usage for any of our guests. So, how's about that turndown service, eh? Fancy it? Uh, I I think I'll pass on that, thanks, but I'll definitely be downloading the app you mentioned, yeah. Where Where can I get my hands on that, then? In your device's app store, sir. Search BEP for BEP or the British English Podcast. You can't miss it. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, what room number am I? Room number 325, sir. Take the lift up to the third floor, take a left, and voila! Your home away from home awaits you. Right. Right. Thank you. See you tomorrow at breakfast. Sleep well. (sighs) Don't let the bed bugs bite because we really do have an abundance of them on the third floor. There was even a TV show called Upstairs Downstairs. Obviously, the wealthy aristocratic family lived upstairs, and the servant class and uh, all of the staff lived downstairs. And when you say downstairs, below deck, below the ground floor, in in the basement? In essence, they would work in the lowest levels of the house, which were often underground. But then they would live right up top, right? Exactly. When we say upstairs, downstairs, I suppose we're talking about the daytime. Because at night, the servants often lived in the attics. Yeah. So it's kind of like a switch. Yeah. And they lived in the attics because this was the area of the house that was the most pokey, I suppose. And Ooh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I use that word, pokey. Oh, that might be an Aussie word, actually. Uh, it just means a bit sort of small and uh, not very nice. Uh, okay. Um, they would basically relegate them to the smallest area of the house and the least comfortable area of the house. It was often freezing in winter and boiling hot in summer because they were just below the roof boards in the in the ceiling in the attics. That's where my sister used to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had the downstairs bedroom, yeah. which was really cool, and my sister was in the attic. It was boiling. Oh, y- yeah. I, I had a friend uh, growing up in exactly the same situation. We'd go around to his house after school and... He had the attic divided into two rooms. One was his sort of study and recreational room, and the other was his bedroom. And I remember sitting up there, and I just said, oh, "We've got to go. <laughs> We've got to go. It's just too hot." <laughs> and sometimes he'd say, "Not like, can you crack a window?" But we, no, no, we've got to go. Nah, this was beyond cracking a window. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know if he ever brought girls back there, but if they brought them back there in the summer, I don't think there was going to be a second sleepover. Oh dear. That's sort of how the house was structured in terms of where everybody lived and worked. So the servants actually worked downstairs. So all of the the servants' rooms that they worked in were below stairs, so to and speak. Was and there an aim for that? Like why yeah. they stayed there? Yep. So basically this was uh, in order to keep the servants out of sight, out of mind. The idea was that the servants would be invisible. They entered the house through a back door, often below ground. 
and they had systems of getting around the house where they weren't seen by the family or any of their equivalent ranked visitors. So they would have very small twisting staircases behind the walls, uh, which they used to go between the levels. This isn't where like secret rooms from bookcases comes from, do you think? You know, it might be that they had secret servant entrances. It, that is highly possible. But you said something about the Petworth House one. Ah, yes. So I was going to give Petworth House as an example of this philosophy. This was a very important philosophy at the time that the servants were out of sight, out of mind. They were invisible. The maids would brush grand staircases in the houses when the family were in the drawing room and they would make sure they cleaned the rooms when the family was elsewhere. They were out for the day or on a hunt. They would do all of these things when they when they couldn't be seen or heard. I guess now, if sorry to interrupt, but I guess if you think about it, when somebody comes over, you don't want to be seen cleaning. You you wanna be seen as if you're your place is just immaculate all the time and you barely lift a finger. That's right. So, I suppose it was for that. It was like, it was magic. It was like, of course, everyone in that, in those upper classes were well aware that servants were there. So I think it was a little bit more insidious than that. It was much more of a, uh, you're not even good enough to be in the same room as me kind of thing. Uh, This was a very strong class distinction. Yeah. And the one in Petworth House? The Petworth House was basically one of the larger houses and it had over 300 internal staff. Oh my God. Internal? Internal. So not even the farmers? No. Or like the people not working the around the grounds? Not the groundsmen, just 300 internal staff. Oh um, my God. This is my understanding and this is at the peak of its of its powers, so to speak. It's a humongous property. And um, so where would they, you, you said- So basically the way that it was designed, the architect had designed it so that the servants actually lived in their own quarters out the back of the house. They would access the house through a secret tunnel that was built underground (laughs) that linked their servants' quarters to the house. And then there was a system of secret staircases and and passageways that they could uh, move around behind the walls, almost like the wiring or central heating you would find in a house today. They were treated like central heating and wiring. Some movies have these little, what I thought were like panic room escapes. Maybe they were like escapes from somebody coming in to invade or whatever, but maybe that came from them wanting to, you know, put their traffic, their servants to and fro. Oh, it was absolutely all to do with the philosophy that the servants should never be seen. In fact, in this house, I my understanding of Petworth House was that if a servant was ever... <laughs> By law of the master of the house, the, the I'm sure he was a maybe a duke. The servants, if they were ever seen by a member of the family or an outside visitor, they had to turn and face the wall, close their eyes, and stand pressed against the wall as if they didn't exist. That's really funny because that's exactly what my dad made me do. <laughs> well, your your dad is a duke, and you were his servant. Yeah, that's true. They uh, that was basically the philosophy. The servants worked in appalling conditions. You know, their rooms were purely utilitarian, whereas the rest of the house was enormous and opulent. I mean, if they were dividing the spaces up so that it was more workable, they had plenty of space to give away for the servants to work in, that's for sure. But with, do you reckon there would ever be an earl or, a, you know, even a baron that has the heart to not, maybe it's not even has the heart, but they have the, the luxury to spare that nice room for a servant 
Wouldn't they, that be a power play to be like, look, I can give a servant this kind of room. Good morning, Squire. I do hope you slept soundly. Care for some breakfast? Oh, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd love some. Uh, what's on the menu? Let's have a look, shall we? We have the buffet breakfast for premium podcast members, and we have the exclusive set menu if you're a member of the Academy. Ah, oh, right, yeah. And, and apart from the breakfast options, uh, why would I want to be a member of the p- premium podcast, you say? Or the... The, um, uh, the... Or the Academy, sir. Yes. You see, premium members get to enjoy the buffet along with transcripts, glossaries, and flashcards to use how and when you want. Rather like the buffet if you've not cottoned on yet, Mr. Smith. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Very nice, very nice. All right. So just like the buffet, I can come and go as much as I like and eat or learn, in this case, uh, in whatever way I like with the basic stuff available for me. Precisely, Mr. Smith. Very good, very good. And then the members of the Academy get everything premium members get, but more importantly, they get to experience some fine dining with a set menu or structure of lessons with videos, audios, quizzes, assignments, speaking classes on Zoom, the speaking partner program, and entry into a lottery to win one-to-one classes with Charlie, the host of the podcast this bed and breakfast is associated with. Gosh, it's a fair amount of stuff, isn't it? You don't suppose I could sample a bit of both options before I decide what to do? It's funny you should say that because we indeed have a sample sausage from the buffet along with a sample of the premium podcast over at thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash premium. And of course, we have some caviar and a full lesson to sample for the Academy over on thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash Academy. Again, all the links will be in the show notes and on that menu in front of you, sir. I will leave it with you to think over, and I do hope you enjoy yourself. Right. Yeah, thanks. Food for thought, I suppose. Well, you would think so, but it just wasn't the way that those classes operated. I mean, yeah. they really held the distinctions that they were afforded, and they held on to them tightly. You know, there was probably a feeling that the whole system was somewhat tenuous, I suppose. This is a guess of mine, but there was probably a strong belief amongst everybody that this really intense system of rank and authority was basically what held everything together, the fabric of society. So it had to be abided by. You know, everyone was abiding by the customs of the time. I don't even think the the ruling family always had a say in the way that they were supposed to talk to servants and so forth. It was just an established way of things. And that's it. And that's that's just the way yeah. society was. And it was taught to everybody from the earliest age. Now, that hierarchy was very strong, not just in the family upstairs, but in the servants' hall. There were many different positions and that hierarchy played into the lives of the servants very intensely. So they would feel... This servant is above me. This servant is below me. They wouldn't feel that they would be. Yeah, they would, there yeah. was uh, a, a very well-known ranking system. So, for example, the butler, uh, the head of the servants. And did I read somewhere that the butler was originally a different job, and then he accumulated more tasks? Yep. So, basically, what happened with the butler is it's an interesting little 
fact. I'll tell you first that there was a room that used to exist in a house called a buttery. Buttery. A buttery. Now, now this is not where you stored your butter and jam and, and, and so forth. Right. This is where you stored your butts. Butts? Yeah, not your butt butt the way that we talk about it, but a, a butt is a keg. That's what they called a keg back then. So they would be casks of beer, casks of wine, kegs of rum and so forth. Basically all the alcohol. I forget about the the magnitude of these kind of houses, the fact that they have to not only put on a, a huge display of wealth every time another family comes over, but they're basically self-sustained, right? Exactly. So these houses were designed to be self, completely self-sufficient. They didn't need any outside help. They could do everything that they needed to do from within the house. So the buttery was the room where they basically prepared and kept all of the alcohol and the drinks. So they basically had to have the cellar of a pub in their house. Exactly. Yeah. Because they were having these huge lavish parties all the time and dinner parties and things like that. So they always had to have stock of everything. Now the butler originally was the man in charge of the buttery. That's where his name comes from. Uh-huh. Um, and his job was to maintain and serve the household's stocks of beverages. Now, in time, the butler, being the main staff member below stairs, as the staff expanded, he took on more and more responsibilities and was in charge of more and more staff. And by the 1700s and 1800s, he'd become the chief of all the below stairs life, organizing, rostering, and just basically delegating to all the other servants. I can imagine that being like a moment in their life where they look to their father and they say, are you proud of me now? I'm in charge of everything below the stairs. (laughs) This was about the highest position of honor that somebody who wasn't in the upper classes could attain, really. Yeah. And still, even then, you know, I mean, these people weren't on much money. But the butler did enjoy a good life, I would say. You reckon? Relative to the other servants. I mean, they all is endured, a good word, but they all endured a a somewhat difficult life, almost, you know, I mean, they got paid so poorly. It was almost tantamount to some form of slavery, the hours they did and the money they received. Yeah, well, it says a lot, given that they moved on from this to working in factories for really poor pay. like Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they moved into what we would still consider terrible pay, basically. They were like, that is way better than this. Basically, to go through the, the, the ranks down there, we had the butler who was in charge of everything. And if you've watched Downton Abbey or any movie in that period, he's the man who stands at the door when guests arrive. He's the man... His fundamental job, apart from being in charge of all the staff, is to be in charge of the dining hall. So every day, along with the footman, he would make sure that that dining hall was immaculate. All the plants were in the right places. All the plates and cups and cutlery were perfectly lined up on the table. And they even used that it was so fine of a job to do that, that they used specific measuring sticks that had little notches on them in order to get the plates and bowls and cutlery all at different distances from the edge of the table so that they were all in exactly the same spot. Yeah, I can. I, I think I've seen that kind of thing uh, come up before. And yeah, I can imagine that. I would find that quite satisfying, that part of the job. Yeah, I mean, there is something, if you're a bit of a neat freak, uh, as I am, and I know that you are, it's very satisfying to get everything in order. But that was the butler's main role. He would stand there at dinner time and he would be in charge of serving the food and drinks. And as you've probably seen in these shows, he and the footman would literally hold the plates out and with the, with the serving implements on the plates and the, the family and the guests would then serve themselves off that plate. Remember. 
that this episode, just like every single other episode on this show, comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode, along with definitions made for you, a non-native learner. I've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet. It's super user-friendly, so head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. So there were certain customs, for example, the footman who were under the butler and they would help him with his tasks. You had first footman, second footman, third footman, and, you know, even more in the most wealthy houses. They would never serve the food. That was not the custom. They would hold the plate, but the people sitting at the table would serve their own food off that plate and they would stand there while they served their food. So there was some very strict laws of etiquette at the uh, dining table. Right. So a modern day waiter would be very rude in that day. That's right. Exactly. But I mean, there was etiquette even for the family. I mean, the family would have to go up and get changed every night into their dining clothes. So they would have their day suits and clothes. So for example, if you watch Downton Abbey, I like to use it because it's a great reference point. You'll look at Robert, the Earl of Grantham. He'll be walking around in a specific type of suit all day, which is a more casual suit. And then when it's dinner, he goes up and he gets changed into his fine dining gear, which was usually a a black jacket with a white dinner uh, vest and a white tie. Hence the name dinner jacket, I imagine. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. So the the finest livery, is the, is that the, the word? Uh, the finest clothing that they had was reserved for dinner time. Now, we can use that as a springboard onto another job. Whenever the members of the family went up to get changed, the women would be changed in their room by their ladies' maids and the men would be changed by their valets. A valet? A valet is the English word equivalent to valet, I suppose. I am sure it's evolved into a different term these days to do something to do with cars, right, is a valet. But a valet was in charge of all of the uh, lord's clothing and any male member of that family, their clothing, their repairs, getting their clothing ready, washing their clothes, cleaning their boots, making sure that they were ready and presentable. And that is pronounced valet, not valet. It's pronounced valet with a T. And the ladies' maids were the equivalent for the female members of the family. And oftentimes these people would know all the intimate details of the members of the family. And, and they part of their job was to be secretive and to retain that information to themselves, you know, oh, keep yeah. that to themselves and not spread that information around. They were in a very trusted position. Goodness me. Yeah, I would imagine they would get a lot of gossip. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were in an incredibly trusted position. And I, I imagine that they did pass on a lot of that information below stairs. And that's where a lot of gossip would have originated in, in those households. But these were very trusted positions. They were intimate positions. They were always in the chambers of these family members. Yeah. And they saw them at their worst and saw them at their their best. And they were probably, the, apart from the other family members, the closest people to those family members in their lives, really. Right. Okay, so we've got the butler. Yep, he's the head of the household. Then what comes next? Then we've got the housekeeper. She is the head of the women. Head of the women's servants. The female servants, yes. Female servants. She had other duties too. So she ordered the supplies and dealt with the trades people. She famously would carry around a set of keys. So she had access to all of the areas of the house. She was like walking around like one of the jailers in a modern day jail with all those keys jangling. Yeah. Or a and janitor at a school. A janitor, yeah. Something like that. Actually, that's probably more equivalent. 
uh, and she was in charge of uh, lock and key. So she kept all the, the the expensive silverware and the expensive china and all of the alcohol behind lock and key. Sometimes be in her room, uh, or in that's the, that's called the housekeeper's room, or it would be in the butler's room. What she would keep the keys in the butler's room. She would keep the fine silverware, you know, the fine silverware such as the knives and forks and the fine china and everything and the alcohol behind a locked door, a pantry of of sorts. And that's in the butler's room. Yes, and in her room too. Sometimes I think but the butler and the butler get it on. Oh yeah, yeah. I reckon. Do you reckon they probably do because they're the the same? Well, level. Well, there was a strong division. Not just in terms of hierarchy in that and those houses, but in terms of sex. So the women had to live in their own quarters and the men had to live in their own quarters and you weren't allowed to have sex with someone unless you were married to them. But the housemaid and the butler were in a unique position where they weren't answerable to anybody except the head of the house and they had their own separate rooms. So I'm sure they Yeah. I'm sure that happened more often than we would uh, imagine. Or not. If you're imagining it a lot. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. True. Okay. So we've got the butler, the housekeeper. The housekeeper. And uh, she was in charge of the ladies' maids and the maids. So the ladies' maids tended to the ladies. And the maids basically went around and cleaned rooms and dusted staircases and did a whole bunch of cleaning duties. Uh-huh. Then she was also in charge of the cook, who was always a woman. And then she had a, a cook's maid and then a scullery maid. Uh, the scullery maid was the one who did all the washing up in the scullery. And uh, the scullery is a smaller version of a kitchen that well, focuses on cleaning the dishes, right? Cleaning dishes and prepping some food some of the time. Now, there was it was very well known in these years that disease came from water. There was a possibility of getting disease from water. So they would keep the scullery at a lower level than the kitchen. So all the water from the kitchen and the scullery would be constantly on the floor in this lowered area. And so the scullery maids would have to stand all day on little stools while they washed up so that their feet weren't constantly in water, although their feet, of course, would be wet all day. Yeah, that's gross. I was saying earlier, that's a bit different to the modern day complaint when you don't have an ergonomic office chair. Yeah. Well. I just recently got an ergonomic office mouse. Um, wow. Not an actual rodent. No, no. The the thing that we click <laughs> with. But it's like uh, the best way to describe it is it's like you're holding a banana. Well, it's not round. It's not a joystick. It's like, but in that angle that you would hold a banana, like the clicky buttons are on the side. Are you meaning I'm just going to cheat and, and show Ben my hand position? That's exactly right. That's it? Yeah. Because I would hold a banana with a closed grip. I try and hold my mouse with a closed grip. I just don't have big enough hands. Ben does have extraordinarily small hands. That is just not true. That is not even remotely true. All right. They were aware of the problems that that water provided with them, like mold and stuff. I guess they didn't know about cholera because that was later on, right? When they found out. You have asked me a question that I don't know an answer to. Oh. Um, but ding, I'm ding, sure ding. that means the end of the episode. <laughs> I've actually found the year. It was 1854 that they found out about the germ responsible for cholera. I think I remember it being in the wells in London. They they linked it to all of the wells that they were drinking from. Okay. You know, this is a similar story to how they the monks in Belgium discovered beer. Oh, okay. So what happened was, my understanding was, 
that it was around 1300 or 1200 or something like that. The monks in the monastery were getting sick from drinking the water, but then they realized that they could drink the water that the apples and fruit had fallen in that had fermented over time. And so they would drink that water and they wouldn't get sick. So they started leaving fruit in the water and allowing it to ferment. And this was the origins of that process where they started to to create beer. So obviously the beer back then is not the beer that we drink today. I mean, it's yeah. come a long way. That's where it started. Yeah. I'm, I remember hearing when I lived in Germany that they used to give their young, even like at the age of three, their own beer. Because back in the early 1900s, it was safer to drink because it had been boiled. Yeah, that's right. Charlie, I would just go through with the audience here, just a little bit about what these people in service used to get paid. Yes. So. Bunts were they on? What bunts? Bunts and burner. Nice little learner. For anyone who's uh, wondering, that was a nice little office reference. Yes. I highly recommend anyone and everyone's or watch The Office. The, the UK, UK. UK version. The American I mean, one's great. The American one is great. But, but the UK is the ridge. And if you want to hear that Bunsen burner, nice little learner, you can hear that for yourself on the on the UK office. Exactly. All I right. still need to get you into Anchorman. I love Anchorman. Sorry, Alan Partridge. Alan Jesus Partridge. Anchorman's Anchorman. You said America, didn't you? Alan Partridge, you need to get into him. Yeah, I do need to watch that. I would love Alan Partridge, I think. Anyway. All right, well, let's just get into some of the um, the what they were paid. Now, I'm going to give you the rates, and they're not good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, you got to remember that there was a huge divide between rich and poor during this period. And also these people were given free rent and board, but they were working, some of them, the lowest echelons of, of the hierarchy, the, the hall boys and so forth, were working sometimes up to 18 hours a day. So it wasn't great, but they, they did get free rent and board and they weren't paid very much money. So let's start at the top. Now, the highest ranking official servant was the butler and he would make 40 to 60 pounds per year. Now, if we put that in today's money and we'll use American dollars because that's universal, that would mean that he'd be on 4,300 to $6,400 per year. Okay. Can you even survive on that? Well, they were fed and they were housed. Okay. Yeah. That's and they true. were given all of their clothes. So no rent. You don't need to pay any rent. No. And they were given four meals a day. They were clothed. So that's, that's disposable income. That's completely disposable income. I don't know if you it's work terrible. out. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And the hours were awful. And I mean, the butler was making the most money and he had the least hours. The house he had the least hours. He would have had maybe not the completely the least, but he definitely didn't have as long hours as some of the lower, yeah. the lower staff members. Yeah. And certainly his jobs weren't as physically demanding. No, I can't. I mean, he'd just be standing there measuring things on yeah. the table. I mean, some of those hall boys were just hauling buckets of water and buckets of coal up and down the stairs all day. I mean, imagine these houses that have 50 fireplaces. They're carrying coal up to 50 fireplaces. Oh, yeah, of course, 50 fireplaces. And all up and down those swirling, twirling, interwall stairs. Wow. What would you go for? Would Butler be your preferred... I mean, is it obvious? Butler is the one everyone wants, I, I, I assume. You're in charge. I mean, first <clears throat> first footman's good. He's, uh, he's the apprentice to the butler, really. Uh, he helps out in the dining room. Um, he does all of those sort of duties, and he he's the next in line for the butlership, if that's what you can call it. Right. Um, we also had the housekeeper, who was the head female. 
um, and she, her salary was five to ten pounds less than the butler. So she was on the modern day equivalent of three thousand seven hundred to five thousand four hundred per year. Right, and that's you know where it starts the inequality in male to female pay. Well, we're going to talk about this later. Not the inequality between male and female, but we'll talk about why these households were unable to continue operating with these wages when the world started to change. Yeah. Um, we also had the cook and chef who was part of the, up, the upper echelons of that household hierarchy. They are in charge of the kitchen and preparing all the family's meals, and they were on uh, £30, which is $3,200 a year. I would imagine that they are quite uh, proud of their kitchen. Yeah, yeah. The kitchen is their domain. They are technically, she was, cook was always under the housekeeper, but it was ceremonial to a degree because the cook would basically be the, the queen of her space, the queen of the kitchen. And, and she wouldn't go anywhere else. No. And she had, basically she had authority over that domain. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that in TV yeah, yeah. She would tell people to get out of the kitchen yeah, and exactly, so forth. Yeah. So even though she was directly under the housekeeper, she was sort of not directly under the housekeeper, if you know what I mean. It might have been more ceremonial yeah. than practical. And it might also be, I'm making your food as well, so respect me, boy. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And then you had the ladies' maids and valets were on 20 to 30 pounds, which is a modern day equivalent of 2100 to $3,200 per year. They're- so that's not a huge discrepancy. We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. <laughs>